Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 119 this evening. Psalm 119. Um, I've got some. Uh, I've got some scriptures in my heart. I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go, but uh, um, we'll trust the Holy Ghost to help us get it out the best way possible. There's uh, there's some things that have been uh, stirring in my spirit for oh I don't know a number of months now I, I don't know exactly how long but um, but they keep getting bigger and bigger the things of God are, are interesting by the way before I get started let me let me say I'm glad to see our brother back there who was um, ministered to last uh, Sunday night the power of MS was broken over his body Amen. Now I know he's been believing God for a long time and his faith. Is, uh, has a lot to do with some of the things that happen. Our faith has a lot to do with the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, but the power of MS was broken over his body, just so you know. So anyway, did you find Psalm 119 yet? The things of God are interesting because uh, Jesus said that the words uh, that I speak unto you, they are spirit in their life. That means they get bigger and bigger. The more you meditate on the word, the bigger it gets. The more you dwell on something that God has said or something that God has done, the bigger it gets, the more it expands. There's no end to it. The Bible says there's no searching to the greatness of God. There's no searching out. You can't find the limits of the greatness of God. Same thing's true where the Word's concerned. You can't expand or expound on the Word of God to its limit. The more you meditate on it, the more you, you, you teach on it, the more you uh, read and study, the more you pray about something, the bigger it gets, the more God reveals to you. So there's something that's just bursting in my heart tonight that, uh, that I want to share with you from Psalm 119, verse 89. This is a, a psalm of David. He's, uh, he spends 176 verses magnifying the Word of God in some way or another. And notice what he said in Psalm 119, verse 89. He said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Verse 90, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. The word abideth means stands. It means it's still here. Now, I want you to notice something. The context of that which David spoke as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. The context that he's speaking of is the Word of God being settled and it controlling the universe. Keep that in mind. You're going to see that again and again. Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. Now, what does that mean? It's so easy for us to read this kind of stuff and say, well, yeah, you know, God's Word is true. Well, what does that mean? God's Word is true. God's Word is true, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And I think what happens a lot of times is we just stop with that. Yeah, okay, the Word is settled in heaven forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. That means God's Word is true. Well, that doesn't even do anything for you. That doesn't do anything for me as an individual. I mean, there's a lot of things that are true that we're not acting on. There's a lot of things that are true that we might not know. You know, they say that there are billions and billions of dollars in banks that were left as inheritances to people that belongs to them. It's legally theirs, but because they don't know it, they don't take advantage of it. They leave the money sitting there in the bank. They may be having money troubles of their own and fail to recognize or fail to access what legally belongs to them. Well, we can't say that it's not true that the money's not theirs. Have you ever stuck your hand in a, in a winter coat pocket and found money there that you didn't remember that you left? Well, what about during that year that you're scrambling to find enough money to pay for gas? You can't say that you might have thought that you were out of money, but you weren't. You just didn't know where it was. In the same way, I think we approach the Word of God. 
I think we look at the Word of God as saying, well, okay, God said it, so it's true. Intellectually, we acknowledge that the Word of God has to be true. So forever, Lord, the Word is settled in heaven. But that's not what he's saying. He's not just saying the Word of God is true. We know that. Now, not everybody does. Not everybody accepts that to be true, but you have. You found the Word of God to be true. You made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's why you know that the Word of God is true. You acted on the Word and something resulted just like it said, which was being born again. So, folks, I want, us, I want us to go further from just the knowledge that the Word of God is true to realizing that forever the Word of God is settled in heaven. Now, David, as I said, was inspired by the Holy Ghost to write this. But what context did he have when he wrote it? Is he just saying, wow, I'm up to 89 verses. I've got, you know, I'm halfway there. Got 176 total that I'm supposed to write. I'm at 89. <sighs> Let's say. Uh, let's see. Okay, Lord, we'll say your word is true. Is that what he's doing? Or is the Holy Ghost just out overflowing from his heart in verse after verse after verse of appreciation for God and his word? The second one is what I believe is happening. And notice what he said. He said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abides. Now hold your, uh, uh, well, we're not going to come back to this. Uh, I want you to, to, to make a note of that last phrase. Thou hast established the earth and it abides or remains, stands, another translation says. But turn with me over to Psalm 138 now. Here's another Psalm of David. We'll read the first two verses. He said, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship Toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Now, why are you going to do that, David? For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. What does David know about the word of God? David knows that it's the most powerful thing in the universe. He knows that it's the word of God that upholds the universe. It causes everything that we see. And, and of course, his knowledge of the universe of, outside of revelation from the Holy Ghost was much more limited than ours is. Science at least tells us a little bit more about the universe than he had access to. That's not to say that the Holy Ghost hadn't revealed to him all the things that we know and maybe more. I don't know. But he recognizes that the word of God is the center point for the universe. It's the central upholding element. Folks, what I want you to see is the word is a thing. It's a real thing. He said the word, the word of God upholds all of the heavens. It's the word of God. It's not just some inanimate thing, some inanimate object. It's a living and breathing thing. Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they are life. That means it's alive. Paul said in writing to the Hebrews, he said, the word of God is quick and powerful. That means um, alive, a living, breathing thing. Full of life, full of power. And the Bible says God exalted his, his word above all of his name. I would submit to you that the church world, by and large, exalts the name of God more than the word of God. I would submit to you that it's just the other way around from what David said. Because how much of the church world says, yeah, well, God can do anything. 
All things are possible with God. Yeah, that's right. But the question is, what will he do? Knowing he can do something doesn't help you or me or anybody else. The question is, what will he do? There's only one way to know what he will do, and that's the word. So literally, David is saying, even if you are able to do something, you'll only do what your word says. You've exalted your word above your name. The name represents ability. Now, turn with me over to um, to John chapter 1. Like I said, I've just got some scriptures rolling around in my heart, and I'll, we'll see where they come out. But I want you to see a couple of things that John said, both in his gospel and in the letter, the epistle that he wrote to the church, the first one at least. Let's start in John chapter 1. This is John giving an eyewitness testimony of this time with Jesus. And he writes it in common language, much more common than uh, uh, any of the other three gospels. He just tells a story. And notice how he starts the story. Now, this is what's amazing to me is because John understood some things that David understood, that Paul understood, that we don't seem to get. Notice the place they give the word relative to the establishing of the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Now, folks, let me tell you how most people read that. And I did for years and I'm trying to get out of this. We interchange the name word for Jesus. Most people read this saying, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's not what's being said. There was no such thing as Jesus. Now, I'm sure that rocks some people, so let me explain what I mean. Jesus is our Savior's earthly name. He didn't have an earthly name before he was born of Mary. That's why the Bible identifies him as Jesus Christ, because there's a lot of Jesuses out there. You can't just say the name of Jesus and expect it to work no matter who Jesus is. The name of Jesus has power because it's the name of Jesus, earthly name, son of man, Christ, divine name, Messiah, one and only. He has an earthly name and he has a heavenly name. He didn't have an earthly name in the beginning. So you can't say in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. You can't say that. There was no such being as Jesus. That's why verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. In other words, the word became Jesus. But he wasn't Jesus before. Well, then who was he? What was he? Let me get, let me throw you something else in here. What does the Holy Ghost look like? We know he's real. We know he's real because he lives in us. We know he's real because he came on us and he empowers us to speak in tongues. Those of us that are filled with the spirit. Right? What's he look like? What has he ever looked like? Well, let's turn it around. What does God look like? There's only one scripture or one passage that you can go to that says that you can identify what God looks like. And that's over in uh, Exodus 33 where Moses says, show me your glory. But that wasn't God, that was Jesus. Jesus is the one that appeared in many different forms 
throughout the history of mankind, both before his natural birth, born, being born of a virgin, and after. You remember John saw him, and he was, his eyes were flames of fire, and his hair was white like wool? Well, that's not the way John saw him when he was here on the earth. So obviously, Jesus can appear in any number of ways. He appeared to Moses in a burning bush. I think it's safe to say that Jesus does not look like a burning bush most of the time. Wouldn't you agree? He certainly didn't look like that when he walked on the earth. So let's get out of our minds that there is some kind of form, some kind of figure that you recognize Jesus by. As a a matter of fact, remember that Mary didn't recognize Jesus after he was raised from the dead until he called her by name. It wasn't his appearance that caused her to know who he was. It was his word. Same thing's true with the two disciples that walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after he was raised from the dead. They didn't know who he was till they sat down to eat together. Jesus said the blessing over the food and their eyes were open. They saw who he was and then he disappeared. So I think it's safe to say we don't know what the Holy Ghost looks like, do we? But we know he's real. What does Jesus look like? Well, we're going to have to qualify that. When do we mean? Do we mean what does Jesus look like or what did Jesus look like when he was here on the earth? I personally think, my personal opinion, I personally think he looks like he did, uh, he looks now like he did when he was here on the earth, only with a redeemed body. So the change in Jesus from the time that he was here on the earth to now when he's seated at the right hand of God is going to be similar to or maybe the same change that takes place from you here on the earth compared to you in heaven after you receive your redeemed body. Now, what that change is, I I can't pretend to know all about it. I know it happens instantly. I know that there's no sickness or disease. I know every trace of death that has ever touched the human flesh is is gone, is done away with and so forth. But beyond that, I don't know. We do know that Jesus said after he was raised from the dead, handle me to his disciples. A spirit has not flesh and bone. They thought he was a ghost. I guess they're not used to seeing dead people raised. So they thought he was a ghost. And he said, handle me. A a spirit has not flesh and bone. He didn't say anything about blood. His blood was poured out. He said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as I have. So apparently, if that's a pattern, our redeemed bodies are going to have flesh and bone. But what kind of flesh? Is it the same flesh here? No way. This flesh has been tainted by sin and death. So it can't be that kind of flesh. It's possible in my thinking, and who knows how deep that is, it's possible that it could be the same kind of flesh that Adam had when he was created in the beginning. In the beginning, meaning the beginning of the earth. That's possible. But the the same change in reverse took place in Adam when he fell and when he rebelled against God. Because then his sin, his flesh that was created in the image of God, that had had no contact with sin whatsoever, was now infested with sin. A little leaven leavens the lump, the whole thing. So his whole body now is taken over by sin. It still took 930 years for death to kill him. How magnificent the power of God was in him when he was created. Maybe that's the kind of flesh that Jesus had when he was here on the earth. It's possible. It's obvious that his body did some things that our body doesn't do. Interesting thought, isn't it? So we don't know what God looks like either. We know he's on a throne. We know he sits on the throne. That says to me, you got to have a sitting apparatus. 
We know the Bible talks about the hand of God. We know the Bible talks about the face of God. It sounds like a body of some type. But beyond that, we're simply guessing and speculating. Same thing would have to be true of Jesus because the Bible says Jesus was made in the form of God. But what does that mean? Where it says, where John starts off and says, in the beginning was the word. What I want you to understand is he's saying there was a substance in the beginning that created everything else. And the word is that substance. Now, the substance hasn't the substance of the word hasn't changed over time. So the same word spoken today that was spoken in the beginning is the same substance in operation. I'm going to try to go slow with some of this stuff because some of it I haven't figured out yet. And the stuff I have figured out, I want to make sure that you get it. Back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's talking about a substance. He's talking about a real thing. But not thing as an inanimate object. He's not talking about the Word like the book that you're holding in your lap, hopefully. He's talking about a living, breathing personality. And that's what I want you to get from this. If you don't get anything else from tonight, I want you to get that the word is a living, breathing personality existence. I I, I don't know whatever, what other word to use besides thing, but I don't mean inanimate object. It's a personality. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And this word, this personality, this living personality was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Notice he's saying the same thing about the word in connection with the creation of the universe that David said. He's talking about in the beginning. Well, the beginning of what? He's not talking about the beginning of the earth because Jesus was in, was with God and was God way before then. Jesus, meaning the word, was way before then. He's talking about in the beginning. And then he progresses forward to the things that were made. All things were made by him. Him, him, the word, him, the word. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, how many of you believe this world is real? You're not sure what to agree to right now, are you? (laughs) This is a real world. Why is it real? Because it has substance. You can reach out and put your hand on the chair that you're sitting on, the chair next to you. You can reach out and touch the next person. But none of those things were here in the beginning. But something was here in the beginning that made everything that has substance. It's impossible. Everything about the law of God is that everything has to be has to be created and produced after its own kind. In other words, if the word didn't have substance, this world that was created by the word couldn't have substance. You can't create something greater than yourself. It's impossible. A creation is always one step down from the creator. So for this world to have substance, for this world to have the the tangibility, maybe that's a better word to use, the tangibility of being able to touch and to feel means that something just as or more tangible and just as more real 
had to be the thing that created it. Had to be the creative force. And that's what John says by the Holy Ghost is the word of God. Look with me over to 1 John chapter 1. Let's see what John starts off in his letter. To the church, this first letter to the church. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning. John is stuck on the beginning, isn't he? I wonder why. Why does the Holy Ghost talk so much about the beginning? Folks, I'm convinced. If we understand the beginning, we can understand everything about how things work now. The Jewish rabbis, the ancient Jewish rabbis said that the whole world is in the book of Genesis. Now, what they meant by that is not just the creation, the story of the creation of the world, but everything that was, is, and is to come is in the book of Genesis. And they said that that's what Moses told them that God said to him. You understand that there's a written word of God and an oral word of God. In other words, Moses came down from the mountain with the the two stone tablets. He came down with the law of God, the things that we have record of now. He came down with those writings. But he talked to God about a lot more than just the things that he wrote down. Well, who did he tell those things to? Now, if it was me, I'd want to be Joshua. Because I'd want to sit down with Moses saying and ask him. My first question is, what was it like being up on that mountain with all that thunder and lightning and everything else going around? Man, we thought nobody could live through that. What was that like? I want to know, I want to know what things were like. I want to know what the answers are to this. But Moses told others. He told other Jewish leaders. He told other rabbis, those that became rabbis. He told Aaron. He told the others. Now, this is what God told me about this scripture. And so the Jews have an oral tradition. Now, it's been added to. It's been corrupted to a great degree because they, um, uh, they've kind of taken the attitude and taken the idea that, well, here's what Moses said, but here's what we think about what Moses said. So there's a lot of digging through. But there's some really good stuff in the oral tradition. And the, the idea is that God told Moses that everything to understand about the universe is in the book of Genesis. Interesting. It's especially interesting when you understand that not only the book of Genesis, but all of the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, are a mathematical equation. Until we had computers, we couldn't, we couldn't prove that for, for certain. But there were people that supposed that and surmised that and theorized that for hundreds of years. But with the advent of computers, they've identified it specifically. It's a mathematical equation. Moses told them that. As evidence that it was given by inspiration of God. Turned out he was right. Not just from a belief standpoint, from a faith standpoint, but a reality standpoint. So John's stuck on beginnings. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our eyes have handled of the word of life. Now, sentence construction here, I think, is really lousy. So let me change it around for you. That which was from the beginning was the word of life. We've heard it. We saw it. We looked upon it. We handled it. And we've declared it unto you. The important thing that's lost in this sentence construction, in my opinion, is the fact that he said the beginning was the word of life. 
He was from the beginning. It's the word of life. Now, what word of life is he talking about? Paul, uh, uh, what's his name? John wrote this, ber- uh, wrote this book about the same time that he wrote his gospel. So he understood that they would be read by the same people. So he's referring back to what he talked about and how he started his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He refers back to that, that which was from the beginning. This is supposed to, to add on, to build on to the story of Jesus he's just told. That which was from the beginning, we've seen, we've heard, we've declared unto you, we looked upon it, we've handled him with our, with our hands, we've touched him, our eyes have seen him, our ears have listened to him. That which was from the beginning was the Word of life. He doesn't call him Jesus because he wasn't Jesus. He is now, but he wasn't then. Who was he then? He was the Word. Now, I'm not sure who gave out the names in the beginning. Are you? How'd that work? In the beginning, which means there was no starting point, but somewhere along the way, God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost are the only things in existence, and they're looking around, and they said, you know, we ought to have names. Maybe the, Jesus speaks up and says, well, you're the, you're the Father, so we'll call you God. Then maybe God looks at the Holy Spirit and says, well, okay, we'll call you the Holy Spirit because you are my spirit. You are my, my presence, my essence. And then what happens? Jesus speaks up and says, I know, I want to be the Word. I'm pretty sure it didn't work like that. What do you think? Well, where did he get the name, the Word? Is this something the Holy Ghost is revealing to John? That before the earth, the universe was ever created, Jesus' name was the Word? Oh, I guess that's possible. Or is John relating something by the Holy Ghost, by his understanding of spiritual truths, the reality of spiritual things, the substance that had to exist to create a world with tangible characteristics? And maybe John identifies it as the Word. Why would he do that? Because it's the same Word that we have now that's forever settled in heaven. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard and looked on, and our hands have handled and the, of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. Now notice he's talking about characteristics, not just name, but he's talking about characteristics. Same thing he said in his, his gospel. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He said, for the life was manifested and we've seen it. And we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So we'd have to say that in this context, the terms word and life are interchangeable. Jesus' name was life just as much as his name was word. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this was literally his name. How would anybody know that? But he's identifying characteristics that tell us who Jesus was then and now. And he uses two words, word and life. Verse 3, 
that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. God, I believe Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews, and, and there's many reasons why, but uh, whoever it is is inspired by the Holy Ghost. And notice where he starts. He said, God, who at sundry times, different time periods and in diverse manners, different ways, spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So now he starts with the beginning of the earth. He starts from the time that God began to deliver his word to the people or reveal himself to the prophets. So he said, God, who at different time periods and in different ways spoke in time past unto the fathers, must be, he's got to be talking about Old Testament times, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. Notice that the word his is in italics if you've got a King James. Literally it says, has in these last days spoken to us by son. He spoke in the Old Testament by prophets. He spoke in the New Testament by son. Now, folks, what's the only thing that happens when you speak? What's the only thing that occurs or takes place or comes out when you speak? Words. I personally believe that when the Bible says that God made man in his own image, it has more to do with his ability to speak words than it does any other thing. Now, I'm, I'm, I should offer an apology to those people who think that dolphins are the most intelligent creatures that were ever created. But I haven't seen them building cities underwater. I haven't seen them taking dominion over the earth. Now, I think the thing that makes man God's greatest creation here on the earth is the fact that he's able to speak words. He's able to express his will through words. And that's the image of God. That's exactly what God does and how. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now, I want you to notice what it's saying about Jesus. It's telling us about Jesus. It's saying, number one, Jesus created the earth, the heavens and the earth. He made the universe. Well, that confirms everything that everybody else is telling us, too. Jesus made the earth, and then he became heir of the earth. In other words, he was the creator of the earth, but laid aside his position as the creator to come to be born of, to come to earth and be born of a virgin. And through his sacrifice, through his completion of God's plan of redemption, now he has earned the right to have be given the earth that God owns. So he was here in the beginning. He was real in the beginning to create a real tangible world and universe as the creator. And then through the plan of redemption, through accomplishing God's plan of redemption and completing everything that God intended for mankind's sake, now he has been given the worlds as his possession. And who is this? It's the word that was made flesh. 
Well, who is this guy? I mean, what what is there about Jesus that we should know? Who being the brightness, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. Let me read this to you from some other translations. Let me read it to you from the Bible in basic English. Who being the outshining of his glory, this is verse 3, who being the outshining of his glory, the true image of his substance, supporting all things by the word of his power. Notice it's not power of his word. See, we look at the word as having power. It's just the other way around. The word is the power. That's why Jesus was able to create the earth, because he was the word, and the word is the power of God. Who being the F, uh, where was it? Who being the outshining of his glory, the true image of his substance, supporting all things by the word of his power, having given himself as an offering, making clean from sins, took his seat at the right hand of God in heaven. Let me read to you from Darby's. Who being the effulgence, I don't know what that is, the effulgence of his glory and the expression of his substance. And upholding all things by the word of his power, having made by himself the purification of sins, set himself down on the right hand of the greatness on high. The uh, Dewey Rames Bible says, who being the brightness of his glory and the figure of his substance. And upholding all things by the word of his power, making purgation of sins, sitteth on the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know what these are telling us? This is telling us that Jesus was the substance of God. Is telling us the Word is the substance of God. How many of you saw that movie uh, a couple of years ago? Uh, it was about uh, oh, it was about the the dreams where the people went into the dreams and they created dreams in other people's heads and stuff like that. Inception. That was it. What are you doing watching movies like that? No, I saw it too. It was a great movie. I hate to use this as an example, but it's one that you can relate to. The people in the dreams thought they were in reality. And as far as their dreams were concerned, there was a reality to it. And you know as well as I do, you can have dreams and you, ha- you can have things that happen when you're asleep and it's like, man, this is, this is so real. You can even wake up afterwards and think, did that really happen or did I dream that? Right? There is a reality to it. But it doesn't have substance. The substance of what is really real. That's exactly the picture of what we're living in on this earth. Because the Bible says that the heavens and earth will melt away. But the word will last forever. We're living in the equivalent of a great big dream. Now, this dream has substance. It has something that, that, that dreams when you sleep can't have. It has tangibility. Now, how, you notice how in dreams you can't ever grab hold of anything? This world has a tangibility to it. This world has a reality to it because it has substance. But the point is, there is a greater substance that will cause this substance, everything and every inhabitant 
of this earth, the millions and, and billions of people, however many there are, 300 million in America, 6 billion in, in the world, something like that. Notice that those things, this world that causes and holds all of those inhabitants was created by something that to us, to our natural eye, doesn't seem to be real, but is more real than everything that we can see and feel here. Now, with that in mind and in that context, what is the greater foundation? What you can see and feel? Or what the Bible reveals to us about the real substance of spiritual things? But you start acting in faith. You start saying, I believe I've received my healing. Tell the doctor that, and the doctor will think you're crazy. Why? Because he's working on what he can see and feel. Well, most of the time, it doesn't. it's not profitable to try to explain to somebody, you know, this world is going to melt away. Then they really will call for the loony farm folks to come get you. But the question is still out there. What is a greater foundation to stand on? That's what David is saying when he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It may not look like it here, but that word is the thing that upholds all the the universe. It's the very thing that keeps the universe going. Literally, that's what it means. Upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Literally means the earth spins and the rotations of the earth and the rotations of the sun and the rotations of everything and all the gravity that holds things together and keeps everything from flying off is because of one and only one thing, and that was the word that was spoken. Jesus isn't running around from one end of the universe to the other saying, now you keep working today, you keep working, spin a little faster. You remember the old, the, the old variety shows where it showed the guy spinning the top or spinning the plates on the, the sticks? Bless that guy's heart. He's jumping back and forth trying to keep everything spinning. That's not the way Jesus is working with the universe. He said it once and it works and is upheld because his word cannot fail. Then how can his word fail for you? How is it possible for the word of God concerning healing to fail for you and me. There's only one answer. There's only one possibility. And that is if we turn loose of it. Because faith is the thing that causes the word to get to be uh, reached by us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll have to go quick here. I'm out of time. Not that I know where I'm going. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Beginning in verse 1, it says, now faith is the substance. Isn't that an interesting word in light of the things that we've talked about? Folks, the word of God is the substance of spiritual things. Faith is the substance of what you hope for. In other words, the word of God was spoken from heaven and created everything that we see and feel around us. Faith is the substance that reaches out and takes hold of the word that was spoken. It's got to be a receiver. You can have the best transmitter in the world, but if you don't have a receiver, a radio to receive or the transmission, you're not going to hear any music. Well, you can't say, I don't know why it's not working. I don't hear any music. Unless you have a receiver that's operating and functioning uh, properly. 
That's what he's saying here. Faith is the receiver. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Had somebody say to me not long ago, say, Pastor Mike, I don't know why, how you can possibly keep teaching healing because I see your hand shaking. And I said, okay, wait a minute. Let me understand what you're saying. You're saying that my faith for healing is not working because you can't see it. You can't see the result of it. She said, well, yeah, that's the way it works, isn't it? And I said, lady, you've got a lot to learn about faith. I said, my confession that I believe that I received my healing is the evidence of what you can't see. And that's a greater piece of evidence than what you see taking place in my body. But see, we don't think like that because we're used to seeing and feeling things. We're used to judging things by what we can see. We're used to judging things by how we feel. And we try to put God in that box. Well, if God was really going to heal me, wouldn't he do this or that or the other? Or wouldn't he change things? When the Bible tells you what the receiver is. Now, faith is the substance. Faith has substance too. The word has substance and so does faith. Faith is the only spiritual substance that you can produce. Is that right? I've never said that before. Wait a minute. Let's see. Well, that is right. The Bible talks about spiritual forces, but it never speaks of anything else in terms of substance. Okay, wait a minute. Let's see what I said. You may think I thought that up. I didn't. Faith is the only spiritual substance that you can produce. Wow. I like that. Well, what's the spiritual substance that God produces? The Word. Your faith has to meet the Word. Substance has to meet substance. I'm enjoying this service. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm learning a lot. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Now, notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, for by it, the elders obtained a good report. We understand that what that means is that it was faith that pleased God in the Old Testament. It was only their faith that caused them to receive the good report or to be commended by God. And the, the commendations that he's talking about is going to be the list of Heroes of faith here in chapter 12 or chapter 11. For by it, the elders obtained a good report through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, I think there's two ways you can read that. I believe that he's saying it both ways. I believe he's saying we understand through our faith because we believe this, that this is how the world was created. But I think he's also saying it was faith in operation. Remember, Jesus said after he cursed the fig tree, have faith in God, which means God has to have faith. Another translation says, have the faith of God. Well, that would prove if that translation is accurate, and it is, then that would have to prove that God has faith. Furthermore, the Bible talks about the faith that is by Jesus. So that means God operates in faith too, right? Are you out there? I know I went through that pretty quick, but uh, I trust that you are familiar with the things that I'm talking about. So I believe he's talking about both ways. I think he's saying we understand these things by faith, but we also understand it was by faith that the worlds were framed. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. The word framed literally means arranged or created. The worlds were arranged or created. It's talking about order. How were they framed or created? By the word 
of God. So for something to have been created that has substance, there had to have been substance before then. Something without substance can't create something that has substance. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Let me change that around a little bit and see if we can make it a little bit more clear. Things which are seen were made by things which you can't see. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't have substance. Again, we've got a more real spiritual realm than the spiritual, than the physical realm and the physical world that we can see and feel. The spiritual realm, we think tangibility is everything. We think tangibility is everything. If something is tangible, then that means we'll see the effects of our healing, we'll feel the effects of our healing and so forth. We think everything is, is hinged on and, and hangs on tangibility. Tangibility means nothing from a physical context. Now there is a spiritual tangibility. But it's accessed only by faith because faith is the substance of things that you hope for. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, the seen world was made by the unseen world. Now, think about the seen world. Like I said, there are billions of people. Is that that right? Anybody knows there's six billion people in the world, roughly? Is that right? Is that close? Okay. We live in a world where there's six billion people that inhabit. And it was made by spoken words. The tangibility of this world that supports six billion living human beings was made by the word spoken. That's mind boggling. A spiritual substance called words created everything you see and feel. Created everything that is now the hindrance for you understanding spiritual things. But only because it was tainted by Satan. Wasn't intended to be that way. There was no intent by God to create a world that would hinder you from understanding the spiritual realm. And it was only after death took hold of the creation that 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 occurred. Let me remind you of one other scripture. Remember Jesus said in, uh, uh, or the Lord said, the Holy Ghost inspired Isaiah to write. What is it, Isaiah 41? For my words shall not return unto me void. As the heavens are higher than the earth. Well, let me find that and, and, and read it to you. Rather than try to quote it because I'll miss some of it. I'm hearing people say 55. Is that right? Isaiah 55? Okay. Verse 8. Beginning in verse 8. Here's God speaking to to mankind. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, that's pretty obvious. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Now, let's keep that in context of what we're talking about. Earthly thoughts, earthly ways of thinking aren't God's ways of thinking. Earthly ways... Or operations are not God's operations. Again, we think everything has to do with what we can see and feel. Most of mankind is governed by the five physical senses. God says, that's not the way I think. That's not the way I operate. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What does he mean higher? Does he mean vertically? What does he mean higher? He means more real. He's talking about the reality of the spirit realm as opposed to the reality of the physical realm. He's talking about spiritual substance versus physical tangibility. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, what are your thoughts like, Father? What are your ways like? He gives us an example. He says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The picture he gives us is of the water cycle. He said, rain and snow starts in heaven, comes down to the earth, and it doesn't return to the earth without first doing what the rain and the snow was supposed to do, and that is provide moisture for the earth. Then it evaporates as the sun comes up. It evaporates and the, and the, the uh, water vapor, the moisture, returns to heaven. But not before it does what it's supposed to do, and that is to water the earth. That's the point that he's making. That's the example that he's using. Verse 11, so shall my word be. In other words, he's saying it works exactly the same way with the word of God. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. In other words, it shall not return without accomplishing its purpose. It shall not return unto me without power to accomplish what it was sent to do. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now think about that in in specific ways. There are verses of Scripture that deal with prosperity. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's impossible for that word to not produce prosperity in the person who receives it by faith. It's impossible. Yet most of the church world that I deal with or the the experiences that I have, most people are trying to gamble on how to make it work. And that's one of the reasons why you can't get people healed, even though Jesus paid the price for them, because they're trying to, to, to lay down a bet on the word working for them. You don't have to bet on the word. It's already real. All you have to do is receive it. And there are very few conditions of faith necessary for you to receive what the Bible said or what God said he sent his word to do. Same thing's true where healing is concerned. There's a lot of healing scriptures. God is saying it's impossible for the word of God to return to him without the power to heal. It's impossible. Just like water doesn't return to heaven without watering the earth first. Then it returns. In the same way, his word is supposed to return to him, but not without power and not without accomplishing what it was sent to do. How does it return? Well, there's only one way for words to return, and that is for somebody to speak them. And that's why faith is the substance of things hoped for. When you speak the word of God, the same word that God has sent down from heaven to us, when you speak that word, you're putting it in practice. You're accessing the same power that holds the universe in place. You're putting in practice. You're putting to work the same word that keeps the earth from increasing its rotational spin or speed and everybody flying off into space. If the earth spun any slower, we couldn't walk. Gravity would crush us. If the earth spun any faster, 
we wouldn't have anything to hold us here on the earth and we'd all go flying off into space. What keeps things operating right? God upholds all things by the word of his power. The one word spoken that set the earth in motion is that which keeps it going. Well, what's going to keep you going where healing is concerned? The word spoken. It's just as real, just as true. God spoke it to you. You speak it back to him. And it's impossible for it not to work. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. I like something that Wigglesworth said. I've been reading a lot after Wigglesworth here lately. And and something he says over and over again is like it's possible for God to not answer your prayer. Think about that. Now, why is it impossible for God to not answer your prayer? Because he said, when you pray, I'll answer. His word is what makes it an impossibility for him not to hear and answer your prayer. So when we speak that word back to him, and Jesus did this. Jesus stood in front of Lazarus' tomb and said, Father, I thank you, you hear me always. He's saying the same thing, isn't he? He's saying, I thank you, Father, that it's impossible for you not to hear me. Isn't he saying the same thing? That's why Jesus could curse the fig tree and not be surprised when it dried up from the roots. That's why he could speak to the disciples and say, look, guys, here's how this works. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, the person that spoke that was the one that originally created the mountain to begin with. So he's saying moving, it's not a big deal. Same principle of the word in operation. Now, I don't think he's really talking about geography here. I think he's talking about a mountain to, uh, to illustrate our problems. How could Jesus be so sure? How could he stand before Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth? Doesn't he know Lazarus has been dead for four days? Everybody's telling him. Doesn't he know? Well, why isn't that a big enough barrier to keep it from working? See, folks, if we can learn to cross these barriers in our own thinking, then we can do the impossible. And that's the stuff that God's challenging me with. Because I didn't realize until I started thinking and meditating along these lines how many barriers I've got set up. And I've probably got less than you do. But physical death was not a barrier for Jesus. He stood before Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. I don't know if there's anybody else in there. Maybe that's why he had to call Lazarus by name. Only one of you now, Lazarus, just you. Physical death wasn't a barrier. Man, we would have been making all kinds of excuses out there. We would have been saying, now, how long has he been dead? Oh, man, four days. If only I'd been here yesterday. Jesus didn't consider water as a barrier for him to walk to the boat. I've always considered water a barrier for walking. It's amazing how much that Jesus was able to overcome natural thinking in his operation. 
to reveal the Father to us. And the whole reason that he did all the stuff that he did was to show us, here's how the spirit realm works. Here's what God will enable you to do. Now, I hope you understand. I'm not saying, somebody could take this out of context and say that I'm saying, you know, God wants us to walk on water. I don't have a need to walk across my swimming pool. But if the need ever did arise, it's certainly possible Jesus proved that. The word is the greatest substance that you can ever have. Everything else, everything that you can see, everything else you can feel is sand. Remember, Jesus used the example in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 6, I believe it was, about the man that built his house on the rock that the storms came against and didn't fall. And the guy that built his house on the sands that the same storms came and it caused him to go under. Everything else, everything you can see and everything you can feel is sand. There's only one sure foundation. There's only one thing that cannot fail, and that's the word of God that is forever settled in heaven. It is a substance that will uphold your life no matter how or when the devil raises his head. Now, let's pray. Oh, Father, enlarge us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our spirits are enlightened or opened. That we may know what is the hope of your calling and that we may know what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as a believer. That same power that you raised Jesus from the dead with. That same power that conquered death. Thank you, Father, for the riches of the glory of the inheritance revealed to us as children of God. Enlarge us, Father, that we might not live natural lives, but that we might live supernatural lives in this natural world. Lives governed and dictated by the Word of God, led by the Holy Spirit, walking in victory in every way. Father, thank you for the move of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for signs and wonders and miracles being done in this life and in this place. Thank you for manifestations of the Holy Ghost to reveal and to demonstrate your goodness and your mercy to mankind. To prove that Jesus is risen and that he's seated at your right hand and that he delivered unto mankind the same ability to do miraculous works with which he did them himself. Enlarge us, Lord. Make us bigger on the inside. Make us a thousand times bigger on the inside than we are the outside. Father, thank you that your word is at work. It's impossible for your word to fail. Help us to realize, Lord, 
just how much you love us and how we can show that love to others. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I almost feel like I need to apologize a little bit for the service tonight. Because in my thinking, well, it seems like I was all over the place. I'm, I'm usually a little bit more centered and focused than this. But I have to go back to what I started with. There are things that God is opening my eyes to that... Um, um, well, I don't even know how to describe it. I believe it's the answer to my prayer. I think I'm getting bigger on the inside. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. And I believe it's something that God wants for all of us. Because these are precious times that we live in. They're perilous times. And it'll get worse and worse. There's a persecution coming against the church. It's going to be unlike anything that we've ever experienced in our lifetimes. And the more the power of God is manifested, the more the persecution will come. Because this world is being governed by this by the enemy. Our country is being governed by the enemy. So don't think that the government's going to be your friend. They won't. They'll serve their master. And their master is the enemy of God. So we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared with the power of God. We need to be prepared with a solid foundation of the Word of God to carry us through any and every situation. We need to learn what it is to have our needs met and to be able to believe God in any circumstance. We need to learn what it is to walk in health so that we can minister healing to others. We need to learn what it is to live in victory ourselves so that we can share that victory with other people. Those are the times that we live in. Those are the things that are coming. Thank God for His Word. I don't know about you, but that kind of stuff doesn't scare me. It kind of excites me. Because the worse and worse the devil raises his head, the, 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 uh, the uglier things get in the world, and the more the devil raises his head, the more the power of God will be manifest. That's a good trade for me. Amen?